Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Alec Baldwin. And you're listening to Here's the Thing. Writers Caitlin Tiffany and Ashley Fetters may be the country's most astute observers of modern romance. For the past few years, together and apart, they've been publishing one article after another in The Atlantic, documenting how Americans are thinking about pairing up, particularly online. Their pieces, from a history of Tinder to the do's and don'ts of social distancing, are sharp carefully researched and funny. But the one that really caught my attention was something they wrote together in February called The Dating Market is Getting Worse. Their analysis coincided with an observation I've been making for years when people let concepts like market value and supply and demand guide their love life, they end up with the wrong person or with no one at all. My interview with Fetters and Tiffany was first scheduled for the week in March when the world came to a screeching halt, so we were forced to resort to Zoom, hence the audio quirks throughout this episode. But none of those quirks are Ashley's fault. She saw to that. I do want people to know Ashley, who is this really super smart writer, is in a closet, and it's so plainly a closet that she's in. <laughs> it's so clearly. There's like clothes hanging yeah. down, different kinds of women's clothes <laughs> draping down around her. I hope the sound is worth it. I hope the acoustics are, are as good as I've heard. Once everyone got settled in their home studios, we got down to business. Caitlin situated the dating market problem in a broader national context. In our American capitalist context, we are trained to think that markets are inherently fair. So if you start thinking about dating as a as a marketplace, um, I think that leads you to kind of uh, dangerous thoughts about, well, the market's not being fair to me. This is what I deserve from others. Like, And then you start to blame people when things aren't aren't going the way that you'd like it to do. Is that something that you saw that during your research and your writing of these articles? Sure, yeah. I think you see it in really extreme ways on, like, subreddits where there are, you know, men who think the government should assign them a girlfriend. That's, like, the extremist end. But I think you see it, like, 
in a lot of conversations, but the conversations I have with my friends about dating, we would definitely say like, oh, it's not fair that you are like, you can't find someone of your caliber or like, it's not fair that this guy who is not on your level is treating you poorly. Like, I think we definitely use that language without even thinking about it. When I got married the first time, I was at a pretty good place in my career. And I thought, well, I'm the captain of the football team. Who's the head cheerleader here on the campus? That's who I should be married to. Like in the, in the kind of market value world of it, I thought, well, there's a woman I need to be with. I need to be with that kind of woman. My question for you, Ashley, is the same. Do you think that thinking about dating as a marketplace is ill-advised? I do. Um, I think I've got, you know, another couple of reasons I can mention that that build on top of what Caitlin said. Um, you know, for starters, when you're shopping for something at a, in a literal market, shopping for a material good, I mean, to put it very plainly, you don't have to consider how that material good feels about you. <laughs> so for starters, it's a little bit of a, an incomplete uh, way to think of it. Also, it's sort of assumed that if you're literally shopping for something, you know, a dress or a pair of headphones or something, you will stop shopping once you have it. And dating is different, obviously. Like you might meet someone that you like, but then keep going on dates. Or you might have multiple people that you sort of keep in a rotation and never, you know, pick one and pare down the others, right? Um so it, like, if it works anywhere, the market metaphor works better for marriage than it does for dating, because that's at least assumed in most people's mind to be a one-to-one and, you know, more permanent transaction or a more permanent match. Um, but I think the biggest flaw in understanding dating to be kind of a shopping or a market or an economic transaction um, is that, you know, thinking of humans as materials, go- as material goods fails to account for, like, the fact that what you want, what you really want might not be at all what you're looking for. <laughs> I think you kind of, How so? you know, you, you mentioned this. Um, you know, there's this concept that like the dating coach, uh, Logan Uri, who I talked to for, um, this story that Caitlin and I wrote together. Um, she calls it relation shopping, which I think is what you were mentioning a little bit, right? You, you start to think like, Oh, here's the parameters of what I want. Here are my preferences. So I'm only going to look within these margins. And of course, that sort of fails to account for the fact that humans are like chaotic and irrational and what we want is influenced by how we see ourselves and how we see ourselves is influenced just as much by how we were brought up as what our morning was like. So, you know, thinking of um, of dating as a transaction or something that you shop for, a partner is something you shop for, really... Um, it really just fails to account for the chaos and kind of the magic of, of finding a, a partner. You talk about how dating outside of your social network began at the end of the 19th century, where people are going to places specifically to meet other people beyond arranged marriages and beyond your hometown or what have you. And I'm, I'm wondering, have social apps, have these dating apps proven that that's a good thing? I mean, I always laugh when someone would show me these apps and it would say, I want someone within 20 miles, 50 miles of my zip code. I always found that very humorous. And I'm wondering, but is it working? I have found that, um, you know, lots of people I've talked to have said, you know, this person lived in my neighborhood and we never would have met. This person lived one town over and we never would have met if it weren't for Tinder, if it weren't for uh, Bumble, if it weren't for, you know, all these myriad of dating apps that we have at our fingertips now. Um, I mean, I think, you know, there's there's a well a well-publicized, well-trod argument that the endlessness of options is paralyzing in itself. And that's (laughs) its own problem, I think. But um, I do think that there are, you know, tangible cases and like observable cases where, you know, people met met partners and met, you know, the love of their lives that they would not have found um, if they'd only been looking in their own immediate, obvious social circle. 
Yeah, we're far enough along at this point where there's pretty good survey data and people say that they have started relationships, have started marriages because of dating apps. I think this the stigma has been largely removed to meeting on dating apps as well. Like um, Pete Buttigieg has that he met his husband on Hinge in his New York Times wedding announcement. So like, it's pretty much accepted at this point that people do meet that way. And I guess just in my personal experience, um, most of my relationships have started because of dating apps um, and with people that I would never have met in another way. Uh, now, Caitlin, you're the oldest of four sisters, correct? Yes. And when you grew up, uh, uh, did your parents remain together your entire childhood? Oh, yeah. They're still together. My mom still has crushed feelings, she says. So. <laughs> now, you're, now with, with that in mind, did your mother or father or both offer you any advice about dating and your love life and any of well, that? Well, my parents met in high school when they were 15. So I think most of my adulthood has been spent being frustrated with them that they have like no relevant experiences to share whatsoever. Every time I had a bad breakup, I was like, you guys don't understand. <laughs> this has never happened to you. Don't talk to me. Um, I mean, they try, though. Sure, they try. <laughs> and you have three sisters. Uh, where do you fall in line in that order? I'm the oldest. What, what kind of advice have you and your siblings given each other about uh, dating? My youngest sister is 18, so she doesn't factor in that much um, yet. But um, the other two are like 21 and 25, and they're they're much better at dating than I am. So if anything, I feel like they give me advice. What do you attribute that to? Um, I'm just was a, like a bookish personality. Um, I was very judgmental of boys in college. I thought they were very stupid and like not worth engaging with. I would say my sisters are more compassionate, um, empathetic individuals. <laughs> so they just have an easier time connecting with people. For you, Ashley, when people using these apps swipe right, What's usually the, among the first criteria? Is it purely physical? That's a great question. What I will say is like, I, I think it's, it's very tailored to individual people. I know some people are on there purely looking at what does this person look like? And that then making, you know, decisions, swipe left or swipe right based on just that. Um, I know other people are kind of like, oh, I'd like to know, you know, how much education this person has. I'd like to know, you know, what religion this person practices. I'd like to know how tall this person is, is a really big one. <laughs> it's a really big one, I think, for both genders. But, um, interesting. Is, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm 5'11. And so when I was, you know, in the brief time that I was ever using apps, that was uh, a, a big priority of mine was how tall is this person. Um, but uh, I think, you know, that's one thing that, that app developers have noticed too. And then, so I think, you know, when you're looking at individual apps, you'll see that they've answered that question of like, how much do people want to know about each other, um, you know, when they're just swiping in different ways. I think you'll find, you know, Tinder is kind of the the bare minimum of like, okay, here's everybody in your radius who you know, and there's a, here's a, a picture. That's kind of the first thing you see about them. And, you know, here's their name and their age. And, you know, there's not much more than that. Whereas, you know, if you look at something like Coffee Meets Bagel or Hinge nowadays, like they'll, they'll have many more prompts for like, how would you answer this question? Or like, what's your favorite XYZ? Um, so I think, you know, people are looking for different dating experiences. And I think, you know, to the credit of app developers, they have, um, have met those needs or met those desires. I had a friend who was older. And he said, 
these dating apps minimize serendipity and fate in people's lives. He said people today are never going to be staring into each other's eyes, having a cheap Italian meal with a candle jammed into a bottle of Matus Rosé and getting to know each other in real time. And you discovering, even though that person might not be your fantasy, uh, you get to know them and you become really attracted to them. He said the thing he hated most of all was GPS. <laughs> because getting lost might be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. Um, I would say, first of all, that I think dating apps still do allow for a lot of serendipity and definitely still allow for romance. How so? Because, you know... Um, just like the odds of being on the app at the same time as someone else. And then I think are pretty slim. And then a lot, like most of the dates that I've gone on have been sort of impulsive, like let's go get a drink tonight. Um, and most of them are bad. Yeah. Like 90% of them are terrible, but then once in a Have you ever walked out? Oh yeah. Um, actually, uh, just a couple of months ago, I, went on a date with somebody who asked me how many people I had had sex with, like pretty much 10 minutes after we sat down. So I left that date. Um, <laughs> you talk about, I mean, I mean are, do you still, if you don't mind my asking, do you still use these apps now? Are you still on these apps now? Well, I actually just deleted the apps a few weeks ago because I met somebody on Tinder like in March, right before the pandemic, but I met him on Tinder. So, so, so you literally felt... I guess the question is, did you feel that once I met whatever his name is, it's time I can just retire my apps now? Sure, yeah. I think the pandemic really um, pushed up the timeline for that. Normally, I wouldn't delete the apps until there was like an official conversation about exclusivity. But during the pandemic, you know, that conversation becomes a little irrelevant because, um, you know, you already have to be like, well... If you're coming over here in my house, you better not be going over into other people's houses, too. Right. Um. right. <laughs> that was Caitlin Tiffany alongside co-author Ashley Fetters discussing their Atlantic magazine article, The Dating Market is Getting Worse. Two other super smart women with a lot to say about modern love are Erica Jong and her daughter Molly Jong Fast. Speaking here about her mom's second marriage. We knew that you couldn't be married and fool around. You couldn't be can, married and not Can I tell you the two secrets to it? their marriage? What? They have different bathrooms, right? They each have their own bathroom. Critical. And they're tired. They're too tired to screw to it up. To do new curtains and bookshelves. Yeah. The reason we got married rather than live together was because he said to me, if we just live together, one day we'll have a fight and you'll say... I'm leaving, or I will. We have a bad record. If we get married, we know we're going to make it work. For my full conversation with Erica Jong and Molly Jong Fast, text Jongs to 70101. That's J-O-N-G-S to 70101, and we'll send you a link. If you're looking on iTunes, you'll get the interview packaged with Lorne Michaels. That's quite a twofer. More with Ashley and Caitlin in a moment. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. 
That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity, and it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing. It surprised me the degree to which Ashley Fetters and Caitlin Tiffany defended online dating as we spoke, given their frequent written critiques. So I asked Caitlin to focus for a moment on the pitfalls. Because there are so many profiles to go through, you can sort of start sorting people into broad categories pretty quickly, which is just the way your brain works. Like it needs to come up with a sorting heuristic, otherwise you're going to be completely overwhelmed. So after you know, years of being on Tinder, I definitely felt like I was getting jaded and not really um, treating people as people all the time. Just being like, well, okay. Um, that I used to feel bad about leaving a date early. If I got there and I immediately knew I wasn't attracted to someone, I would still sit and try to talk to them for at least an hour and because I didn't want to hurt their feelings. But in the last year, for sure, I would down my glass of wine in 15 minutes, then be like, okay, I'm not really feeling this. Like, have a good night. Bye. Which I feel like is kind of, I don't know, it's my prerogative to do, but it's also not super kind. Um, I would say that is the downfall of dating apps, is that it becomes too efficient. Now, Ashley, what about you? What do you think the, uh, I mean, there are strengths to it, which obviously, what do you think of the drawbacks, if any? Um yeah, totally. Well, I, um, I'm a little bit older than Caitlin. I'm 30. And I am old enough to remember, you know, the time before dating apps. And I remember what it was like to just not go on a date for a while and not be able to find anybody to go on a date with. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I remember, you know, going on a date and being like, well, I'm not that wild about this guy, but maybe I'll go on another date. You know, maybe I'll stick it out and see if something that, you know, if a spark materializes. And I would, you know, give things a longer time to 
prove me wrong initially. You know, I'd, I'd give things some time to uh, blossom if they were going to. Whereas I feel did, like did that work? That, did that work? Did you did you give people a chance and it turned out that that was a smart move? Not really. <laughs> I'm, yeah. a, I'm in a long term relationship with someone that I feel like I pretty much knew instantly <laughs> that uh, that you I are now. So you are now. I am now. Yeah, yeah. So I, I I have to say that approach did not really serve me the way I intended it to. But yeah, no. I think I think dating apps really solved a scarcity problem, but they created a problem of like you know, endless options, right? Where you're, you're, you know, on a first date with someone, it's not going perfectly. So you might be more inclined to say like, eh, next. And you're trading you up. On. You're trading up. Mm-hmm, you are. Yeah. And it makes you feel like, you know, if this person's not the one, then the, the one is probably the next person you're going to go out with. Whereas, you know, when there was a, a scarcity of dates, it made you sort of sit down and give a, a longer period of consideration. Do you think, Ashley, that these apps are the interruption of a natural process, that the path toward finding somebody is something that involves a serious expenditure of time? Is it an interruption? I don't think so, actually. Um, I think what's important to remember about dating apps is that all they do is connect humans to each other, right? And whether those humans are compatible or not compatible or interested in each other or not, um, I think those facts will be the same whether you meet over a dating app or not, right? And so, you know, it, it's it's so important to remember that there's a human element here. And once you're once you have matched on the app, and the app, you know, puts you in touch, and then you can say like, hey, let's meet face to face. Like it reverts right back to the old formula, I think, of dating and of um, you know partner searching, right? It's you're you're back at you're back at like kind of the old school um, the old school question of like, is this the person I want or not? Um, so I think, you know, I think it gives it an interesting, different prelude. Like you might encounter this person in a different way or might, you know, encounter this person who is outside the range of people you might have otherwise met without a dating app. But I think once you, once you're in that stage of like, I am on a date with a person I met, most things look the same. You know, when I met my wife, Ilaria, and I met her in a, in a restaurant when she walked by and I said some preposterously stupid line to get her to sit down with me. The sense I got of her, you know, there was a warmth and a generosity to her and a humanity to her that just came off of her very, very quickly. I mean, do you think if you saw your wife's picture on a dating app, do you think you'd swipe right on her? And do you think you'd still feel that same energy that you felt? When you met up with her? Well, I don't know about the energy question. I, d I don't know. She was this gorgeous woman. I mean, she was my feminine ideal, you know, in terms of what she looked like. But I, I'm not quite sure uh, that I would have let that govern me. The one story I will tell you was when I did make a connection to somebody on the dating app when I was single and I had masked who I was, what I stumbled into was this absolutely hilarious uh, scenario. The woman said to me, I want you to know I'm married. And she lived in Southern California. And she said, but I want you to know my husband is gay. Uh, and my husband, uh, uh, he, he, we were friends and we got married and we'd been together and he was always fighting uh, that he was gay. And finally he's decided to live his life as a gay man and we're, and we're still friends. And we have a child together, we have a son. And she said, so you come down to my house. Uh, my husband's a huge fan of yours. He loves you, he thinks you're great. Like not at all what I had dreamed dating yeah, apps would, <laughs> would lead me to. You know, it, it was like you wind up getting an entree into people's lives. Did, and if you don't mind my asking, did you meet your current partner on an app? 
I didn't. Um, <laughs> it feels like we're... <laughs> I know. I know. I feel wow. like we're the last people who, who didn't meet on that, but we met in 2016 at a birthday party. Um, How tall which, is he? He's about six foot three. <laughs> my daughter, yeah. my older daughter, Ireland, had these boyfriends she did. She's six two. That's really tall. And she uh, would date these guys. You know, they would walk ahead of me, and the guy kind of came up to her shoulder. You know what I mean? And I thought, I wonder how long this is going to last when, you know. <laughs> and, and the guy she's with now is like 6'4", and I go, this is the first real shot she's got. Yeah, yeah. There's a thing that happens where, you know, if you're the tallest people at a party, you know, you make eye contact over everyone else's head, and you know. I want to swerve here toward the COVID thing. Are these dating apps now exploding in the age of the virus? Usage is up. Um, I think, you know, it's that's probably a function of people being <laughs> stuck at home, kind of bored, uh, not sure what else to do with their time. Um, and, you know, it, it's a familiar activity that, you know, might lead somewhere. It might lead you to a fun, flirtatious conversation. Um, so I can see why, you know, even though people can't meet up, they might still be um, browsing. But I'd love to know what Caitlin says about that. Yeah, like major dating apps have been adding new features that are specifically for pandemic dating. So... <laughs> Like, such as what? Yeah, like Tinder has video chat, an app now, which I can only imagine what kind of moderation challenge that is. Um, (laughs) But most of the major dating apps have have added video calls directly in the app so that you don't have to like schedule a separate FaceTime call or whatever else. And I think Bumble as well has like a, a badge you can add to your profile that basically says like, I'm open to remote dates. And, you know, I've also been reading anecdotal stuff and there was an essay in the Paris Review about um, like sexting with people off of dating apps. So I think if it's up there in the in the Paris Review, then it's pretty common. What a perfect resource for that observation. The Paris <laughs> Review. George Plimpton is going to give us the update <laughs> on how people are video sexting, which brings me to another question I had, which is that a friend of mine, uh, who shall remain nameless, told me he became aware of a video sexting uh, gathering where ultimately 150 men <laughs> were all uh, servicing themselves live in real time in the autoerotic uh, tradition. 150 of them at the same time. And I'm wondering, are we on the verge, because of the pandemic, of flat-out sexuality played out in dating apps? Caitlin. Oh, me. Um, well, while I can't really imagine myself personally stumbling into like a 150 person virtual orgy, and I, I think that will probably remain like a, you know, like a special occasion, a once in a while type thing. Um, I do actually think the pandemic maybe is making people more frank about their sexuality and about like their desire for intimacy. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter and Instagram who I follow professionally who are being pretty frank about like, you know, this sucks. It sucks that nobody's having sex. Like they, they just say that. I saw like a woman that I interviewed for a story um, a while back. She tweeted yesterday, like, am I too old to post a picture of my butt on Instagram? Like people are just going for it, which I think is kind of fun. You know, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm for it. <laughs> I, I think what Caitlin said is, is spot on. You know, people are being much more frank about how, lonely they are. People are being more frank about, you know, how much they would like to be having sex when they're not. Um, and I think, you know, on the other on the other end of that, like, 
the pandemic has really normalized a lot of virtual interactions that weren't part of our daily lives before. But I don't know that I necessarily see a lasting overlap between those two. Like, if you think about a 150-person orgy taking place over Zoom, it's like all of the fun parts of an orgy are absent from (laughs) that transaction, right? Like, I, I would imagine... The real life counterpart to that is much more satisfying than the uh, the Zoom version. You know, I, I <laughs> I'll be honest here. I'm not in the in the habit of going to orgies, but I would imagine that part of the uh, the appeal is the closeness and the the touch and the the smell, right? And you lose all those things. You busted me there. It just wasn't the same as the real orgies I've been. To. I mean, 150 <laughs> guys in a room together. Now that's thrilling, but uh, online it's not the same. <laughs> I mean, I think Caitlin and I have talked about this before, just kind of on our own time. We both have seen a lot of people on Twitter and on Instagram and on social media um, just talking about how much they can't wait to go to a bar, can't wait to go to a wedding, can't wait to hug their friends, can't wait to, like you said, you know, go to a party in the Bronx, even though they live in Brooklyn, Um, you know, go out of their way to attend a birthday party for someone that they might not otherwise make the effort for. Um, I think you're absolutely right that we are going to see a larger social effort than what we've seen in, you know, years past. Um, I was reminded by Adam, my producer, these apps are used by people in college. And I thought, how weird, because you're at college there to meet people and to congregate with them and to interact with them. And they're right down the hallway in a dorm, you know. Why do you think so many people in college are using dating apps? Hmm. Tinder came out in 2012, I believe. So I was in college, but it was still considered like a weird thing to do at the time. So I didn't really know anybody who um, was using a dating app when I was in college. But my younger sister um, definitely, who's in college now, definitely uses them. I think because it removes a lot of the awkwardness of having to, you know, approach someone that you're friends with, who's in your friend group, and be like, maybe I want to be romantic with you. Because that is really, like, fraught, especially in college when all of your friend circles overlap. But isn't that what everyone was doing prior to these apps? Yeah, for sure. But I I think also, I mean, when I was in college, I was just afraid of everyone. So that's why I, I like, barely dated at all in college. So dating apps might have made things easier for me, especially since I went to such a large school. Like, um, I think there was, like, 4,000 kids in my class. So it would have been probably beneficial. I mean, I probably would have met people outside my social circle. Um, What... Would you say, Caitlin, is your advice a caution, a, 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 some kind of a suggestion you have for people when they use apps? What, what's, what's something they should try to keep in mind or avoid altogether? My advice is not to rack up matches just to rack up matches. Once you get to a number like seven, eight, maybe you should send messages and start conversations and play all of those matches out before you go back and look for more. Um, just because otherwise people become like completely interchangeable baseball cards to you. And Ashley? Um, I would say just go on a date before you lose the momentum of, you know, we've talked for a week on this on this app and now we don't really know what happens next. I think just go for it. <laughs> if it's someone that you're talking to that you like, meet them in person. I want to thank you both. Ashley, I'm assuming your boyfriend is in the pantry hiding among the pasta. <laughs> I gave him the the apartment. I'm in the closet. So, you know, he uh, he owes me one now. <laughs> yeah, he owes you big time. But listen, stay safe. And uh, thank you both for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Alec. This was great. Yeah, thank you for having us. It's fun. Bye-bye. Ashley Fetters and Caitlin Tiffany, co-authors 
of the dating market is getting worse on theatlantic.com. At the time of our conversation, both women were staff writers at The Atlantic. But pandemic era ad sales and the end of live events had taken their toll at that venerable institution. Ashley was among the victims whom the magazine praised as exceptional and beloved even as it let them go. It was Ashley's second stint at the magazine where she had started her career eight years ago. That's right, yeah. My first uh, my first job out of college was actually at The Atlantic. Uh, was coming back to The Atlantic always the plan? Is that what you wanted? Um, you know, I try not to have too much of a, a plan in terms of, you know, what I want my whole career to look like. I don't want to, you know, be disappointed at the end of, of all of this. But um, I would say it really felt like a homecoming to come back to The Atlantic. Um, you know, it had grown a lot since I was there last, but I had too. So um, it really felt like a, a welcome return. If you're looking to hire a brilliant writer, check out at Ashley Fetters on Twitter. That's F-E-T-T-E-R-S. Caitlin, who covers technology as well as love and romance, remains on the staff. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.